Welcome. I'm Richard Prosh, and this is another edition of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are regular Wednesday postings where my co-host, Paul Bishop, or I get to hang out around the virtual Six Gun Justice podcast campfire and spend some time talking with friends who work in the Western genre. With me for this edition is author John Nesbitt. John D. Nesbitt lives in the Plains country of Wyoming, where he teaches English and Spanish at Eastern Wyoming College. He has had short fiction collections, contemporary Western novels, and dozens of traditional Western novels published in various hardbound, large print, audio, and mass market paperback editions. Nesbitt has won many prizes and awards for his work from the Wyoming State Historical Society, Wyoming Writers, the Wyoming Arts Council, the Western Fictioneers, and the Western Writers of America. He continues to write novels, short fiction, and poems. I'm happy to welcome John to the show today. Howdy, John. Howdy. Hey, where did you grow up, and uh, was writing always on your radar when you were young? Well, I grew up in rural California. I grew up in farm and ranch country, and it was quite a while back, and so, uh, you know, things were in an earlier era. We lived out in the country, and I always read, and I guess, you know, somewhere down underneath, I just always assumed I was going to write. I know that your work has been influenced by that small town life in 50s and 60s California and the working folks you knew there. What is it about that time and place that has inspired you to write and uh, how do you apply that to your Western fiction? Well, I grew up doing some pretty basic work, basic field work. I grew up in not very good financial conditions, to put it mildly. You know, we my parents separated and my mother died when I was pretty young. And uh, my father worked at farm work and uh, it was seasonal work. And so a lot of times uh, we were broke. And then when uh, my brothers and I got a little bit older, then we went to work in the fields to help with the family income. And, uh, you know, th- those were some kind of hard times. And one thing that I would tell myself during those times was that it built character. Uh, That has certainly been very influential in the formation of my character and uh, things that I have drawn from. For me, the uh, world of the Western novel is very similar to that. It's not an easy world. It's a world where people have to work and where people often uh, have to endure setbacks that for things that they didn't create themselves, but they they still have to do deal with it and uh, give it their best try. I grew up in rural Nebraska and I'm on a farm and I've always appreciated the realism that you bring to your work comes across as obviously somebody who's been there. Do you find that when you create characters for your books, you'll go back and remember some of those people that you knew back in California and, and, you know, make an amalgamation of them? Oh, sure. You know, I think, you know, uh, most writers do what, you know, you just called an amalgamation or what others of us would, would call a composite. Sometimes it's convenient to, you know, like, you know, I remember this robust that I had and I'm going to use him as a model for my robust character in, in this story or something like that. But, you know, a lot of times it's good to sort of cobble together a character or pick up a character uh, from one setting and put that person down in another. So I can take, you know, some ideas itinerant uh, worker I knew in, let's say, 1963 and, um, you know, drop that person down into a Western and, uh, you know, shape the character accordingly. So, uh, you know, it really, really is good not just to sort of, you know, duplicate or reproduce that, but to make it go through some kind of a transformation. Yes, yes. So the West has a unique geography to it, uh, wide open spaces, obviously, but also just some unique flora and fauna that we run into in the West. And that influences uh, what you work on too, right? 
Oh, yes. I try um, always to, to write about things that I know about in those ways. When I uh, was first trying to write short stories many years ago, um, I read about how other people did it. And um, I uh, learned that people would, they would read up on a locale and then set their story there. And I gave that a try. And uh, I haven't it, it turned out all right, but I discovered that I didn't really have to do that, you know, that I could just write about places that I knew about, write about uh, things that I was familiar with. And so um, if there's something that I'm not familiar with, I just don't put it in the story. And I have seen other people who have written about places that I know with some familiarity and people write about that uh, those places and they make mistakes. And I sure wouldn't want to do that. You know, our mutual friend, Matt Mayo, has described you to me as a triple threat uh, <laughs> in that you are equally adept at writing novels, short stories, and poems. Do you have a favorite among those three? Oh, whatever I'm working on at the time. Do you uh, go into into cycles where you're, you know, you're working on short stories and then a novel comes along and, or do you do, you do it you know, just whatever the day brings? Oh, yeah. I kind of work on one thing at a time. As you know, I have had a full-time teaching appointment at a community college here, and we may get to that later in our conversation. But at any rate, and I've been here for a long time, and so I work my um, writing projects in and around my uh, other professional activities. And so, and I do have a tendency to do do one at a time. And so uh, sometimes it'll just kind of come around on, on my slate. Well, I think it's time to work on a poem or it's time to work on a poem that I that I hear is kind of a song. And so I'll work on that and until I'm pretty satisfied with it for the time being. And then, but maybe at the same time, I'm working on, on notes for a work of fiction, especially a longer work of fiction. But you know, even though I do uh, one thing at a time, uh, I work on some of those things simultaneously. But then when I get into the writing project itself, then I'll work on that until I'm done with it. And so, you know, let's just say in my schedule here, I work on the long projects, sometimes during the school year, but sometimes, you know, uh, almost exclusively during the summer. And so in those other points of time or parts of time, I should say, uh, in the in the academic year, sometimes that's when I do some of the shorter things. Or if I'm in between um, novel manuscripts, maybe that's when I'll do a short story or a novella. Have any of your poems been set to music? Yes, yes. I have a, a CD of songs that uh, the great WCJ Jameson, former president of Western Writers of America and a pretty well-known fellow in his own world. He and I collaborated on this project over a period of years, and it finally came to fruition a couple of years ago. And so it's a CD of Western songs. And then I had one other song that was recorded, poem that I heard in my head and uh, got Mickey Malone, uh, Mickey Furman Malone, to do a demo of. And then she had Carol Markstrom hear it, and Carol uh, liked it well enough to include it on her Desert Rose album, which has had uh, a great deal of success. And other songs are more prominent there, but uh, you know, mine's riding along with it, and I'm real happy about that, too. It's a great album. I'm actually talking to Mickey tomorrow. Oh, so that's going to be fun. I'll, I'll maybe bring that up and have a little cross-pollination between interviews there. Oh, that was one of the most moving things that has happened to me when Mickey did the demo of that song. Boy, I just couldn't get over it. It was just terrific. How do you decide what you're going to write next as far as, okay, so if you're going to write a longer work, you've also, you've written uh, traditional novels, uh, historic novels. You've also written young adult novels. So do you just, uh, do you go by what you feel like is um, the publisher might be looking for you or do you go with uh, just what you feel like like you want to write next. 
my experience has been when, when I ask a publisher and it's, you know, an, an editor that the editor will usually say, write what, what you want to work on. Um, and I have not had people uh, tell me um, what I should be doing. And that's, <laughs> that's not because I'm a triple threat or anything like that. I, that's just has been my experience. I think maybe other people, other publishers will say, you know, it's time for this or time for that. But, um, you know, usually um, I've had it left up to me. And so I do what, first off, what I think of is calling my name. You know, this is, this is the next thing you have to do, John. Uh, I like to do things that are not really, really similar. I try not to do really similar things in sequence. So I like to have a little bit of a change, do something that's a little bit different, uh, then not forget what uh, the general strands are that I'm working on. So uh, I won't get away from one particular kind of story for you know, a prolonged period of time. Great Lonesome is your latest novel. What can you tell us about that one? Well, uh, I, I tried real hard on it. I, I thought it was one of the better things that I had done in, in the last several years. I had an idea. It took me a long time to get around to, to writing that one because I squirreled away my ideas for a long time and I had to wait until I thought I was ready to write that because I knew that for me, at least, it was going to be a, a significant piece of work and I was going to have to do quite a little bit of preparation for it. And so I needed to make sure that I had... Um, a mind clear for that and an ample amount of a block of time to work on that and then to be able to write it. The idea that I had, and I worked on it, sort of, as I say, put squirreled away ideas on it for a long time, was that it's uh, about a fellow who goes up against the machine. And uh, he's not only a person in 1903 who's dealing with a mechanized world, that's kind of a, a more like uh, an, uh, an analogy or a correlative to the other machine that he's up against. And that is um, a rancher who wants him to take out homestead claims so, and then turn it over to the rancher, which was a common practice here, you know, back in that time. So then that the rancher uh, would be able to own more land than he could have laid claim to himself. And the young cowhand resists that and uh, finds himself out of a job before too long. Then he sort of comes up against some other people who happen to have machines. Uh, they have a rock crusher in this little town. And uh, they're uh, related to that part of the story. We begin to see deaths. And so it become, we have a little bit of a, of a strand of murder mystery, which I like to include. So we have this fellow who's, you know, sort of trying to find his place in the world and at the same time feels compelled to, to try to bring justice for um, one or more people who have died. He, he's not sure that, you know, that he's going to, that all these deaths are related. He kind of has a hunch. So he works on one and thereby solves the other. It sounds like a winner. You know, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's out from Five Star Press. Is that right? Uh -huh. Yes. Uh huh. You're a writer. You're an accomplished writer. You've been an accomplished writer for some time, but you also are a teacher. And I wonder, do you teach writing per se? Do you do you actually teach creative writing or writing? I don't teach creative writing very much. The school that I where I work and where I have worked for a long time has more of an emphasis, especially in the last several years, more of an emphasis on vocational classes. And uh, especially in the last several years, mainly what I have done has been required courses and you know, basic writing courses, applied technical writing, composition, less literature than I used to, and very little creative writing. I, uh, many years ago, I would teach creative writing, you know, every other year or something like that. Right now, I think I have taught creative writing twice in the last 10 years. 
Wow. So when it comes to learning how to write and young people who want to write, especially Western fiction, I know that Wyoming Writers is a group that I don't think gets enough press. When I was first starting out, they were very supportive of me, as were you. And I know you're active in Wyoming Writers. How long have you been part of that organization? Um, since 1985. I happen to remember that because I had heard about them before and um, I uh, entered their contest and placed in the contest and I went to their conference and got to know them a little bit, then sort of slowly got into the organization. And then by about, I think, 1987, I, I was a pretty functioning member. And then by 1990, I was functioning enough that they asked me to host the annual conference here. Uh, so I was very active for a long time. And then uh, 10 years ago, a little bit, yeah, about 10 years ago, I was the president of the organization. And then as sometimes happens, uh, after I was in in that part of it for a couple of years, then I, I withdrew a little bit because it <laughs> took up a lot of time. And I thought, well, you know, I, and people, you know, they, they say this, they say, well, you know, I've done my part. I'm going to, I'm going to stand back a little bit and let other people do it. But I, and I'm still an active member, but I'm not as prominent as I was a few years ago. It seems like when I was living in Laramie, I was a painter, actually. And so I was involved with the Wyoming Arts Council with painting and uh -huh. a couple smaller uh, projects that they had going on. But it seems like Wyoming as a state is uh, pretty solidly behind its creators and, and has a lot of opportunity. Is that true? I would say that community of people is very supportive, but I would say stacked up against other things that are going on in the daily lives of people, it is sometimes not very important. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I don't think that that's ne uh, necessarily characteristic of Wyoming, but there are a lot more people are going to go to a football game than are going to go to a poetry <laughs> reading. Yeah, absolutely. You're yeah. right. Uh, same thing with WWA. You've been associated with the Western Writers of America for a while. How long have you been there? Have you gone to, have you been a regular attendee at the conventions? And do you have any, any memories of, uh, of the conventions and people you've met? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a broad question. Um, I went to my first uh, Western Writers of America convention in 1981. It was just before I moved out here to Wyoming. Uh, I was living in Northern California there and the convention was over in Santa Rosa. So I was able to drive to it. It was a couple hours away. So I drove to it two days in a row. I had uh, was not a member at the time, but I had been subscribing to their magazine, the Roundup. And so I knew who the, who the members were and so forth. And so I went there and I got to meet some of these people, yeah, including one of them that I was going to be writing an article on, Gary McCarthy. He's still around and active. He's a little older than I am. But I also met people like the aging at the time, Nelson Nye, who's a you know, legendary person from long ago and person who was very much in his prime at that time, Elmer Kelton and um, other people. And so that, uh, that was the first time I went to their convention. Then I moved out here and uh, I thought I'd look into membership and they said, well, you need to have um, national publications. And I had sh I had short story publications, but some of them were kind of in regional journals. And I thought, well, I don't want to apply and then get rejected. So I didn't join the organization or apply for membership until uh, I had a novel out. So when my first novel came out in 1994, then I applied. I didn't go to the convention that year because I was doing a sabbatical in Mexico. And so my first convention uh, after 1981 was in 1995. And I've been there every year since then. I have pretty good continuity with that and have 
have gotten to meet uh, many, many people, including yourself and our mutual friend, Matt Mayo, the great W.C. Jamison and hundreds of others. It's been a really great organization. That's also where I met Mickey and where I was able to persuade her to sit down at a table and listen to me sort of hum out the lyrics of that song that she then did such a wonderful demo of. So what do you do in your spare time when you're not writing and you're not teaching what are what are John Nesbitt's interests besides writing Western fiction? You know, it's all related. I'm usually doing something outdoors. Uh, we had a, a little bit of sunny weather during Thanksgiving, and we had a full week break because of the way the school had reorganized our schedule this uh, last semester. So had a week's uh, sunny weather and uh, during Thanksgiving, and so uh, I went out and cut firewood by hand. You know, using a little handsaw and, and a wheelbarrow uh, every day, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, in other times of the year, I do gardening, I do camping. I have a horse. Um, sometimes I've had more than one. I had a lovely donkey for 10 years until he, he died on me. So, you know, I go out and do things with them. I hunt. Those are any, any chance I get. That's what I do. Well, John, I'm going to wrap up our conversation and I'll do so by pointing folks to your website, which is www.johndnesbitt.com. And they can go there and learn more about you and your books. And uh, you're also on Facebook, I believe. Uh, yes, I sure am. Yeah, and it's really easy to find me in either of those places. As if a person just uh, if a person doesn't remember the website, you know, if a person just looks me up, there's not a lot of people out there with my name. And so I'm pretty easy to find. Thanks for being part of the Six Gun Justice podcast today. Well, thank you very much for hosting it. And it's been a great honor for me and a wonderful opportunity. Thanks to John for hanging out and chatting. And thanks to you for listening. Paul and I appreciate your support of our Six Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. As always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Wolfpack Publishing, author Chris Enns, and the Western Writers of America for making this podcast possible. Be sure to check out our website, www.sixgunjustice.com, for links to previous podcast episodes, speed listens, and prior conversations, along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, keep the sun at your back and a good horse at hand. Let's ride. (laughs) 